Hello and welcome to a Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and welcome back to a new episode. This week we have a brand new guest. I am absolutely, you know, astounded to have someone out of the blue, out of the life. I jumped into his life and uh, sort of picked him out of nowhere and uh, surprised him. Welcome, Dan Clifton. How you doing, Dan? Hello. Not too bad, thanks. Yourself? I'm doing great, man. I'm great. Glad that you're here, and glad we can we can talk a little bit of uh, history. Yeah, glad to be here, man. Thanks for inviting me. That's all right, mate. I think you know when. And shout out to Johnny Edwards, who's linked us together a little bit. Who's who's, you know, stated your you know your knowledge, your interest. I think that's the main thing. We're going to try and learn something together today, and you know we're going to be covering the beginnings of Roman history. Dan, what what really got you into history? In, in this area? Uh, history as a whole is just an awesome subject, I think. I never studied it in school at A-levels, which mm. I really regret. And I haven't gone to university to study it either, which I also really regret. <laughs> but did it at GCSEs and some of the subjects are, you know, they're okay. But ancient history, like classical history, antiquity, it's just really interesting and in-depth. A lot of it is like... Uh, story it's the closest thing you can get to a fantasy novel yes comes from old classic folk tales and stories from them oh i love that man i really do because i, I get um i've spoken about this many a times on the podcast about uh, talking about jordan peterson and the ability to be able to find real life and adapt it from tales like mm. The, I use the the book, The Warrior King, The Lo- Lover and the Magician as a good reference in the sense that we all have these archetypes that are yeah. in the hero story. And so yeah, yeah. just that ability to look back in time and, and be able to understand, you know, what what these archetypes are. Do, uh, sorry, I might be talking about subjects that are a little bit out there. Have you heard of these sort of like concepts before the the, the archetypes? In terms of how like a story is made, you have your protagonist and antagonist, and you got the horrible, evil stepmother. Yeah, like even when you look into Roman history and stuff, that's all in there as well. Mate, you're you're you're, you're picking at the heartstrings right now. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Honest, honestly, history is awesome. And any subject you can get into history, you get into the nitty gritty details of it, like out the the culture, the religion, the theocracy, the political intrigue to it. Game of Thrones could basically be history if it chose to be. So true, man. You take mythology, you take a good story, and you can basically mm-hmm. make it become the, our past in itself. Yeah. So to- totally agree. I was going to ask, I, I have skipped ahead a little bit uh, already, and I, I get ahead of myself from time to time. Dan, welcome to the podcast. And... <laughs> First off, I'd just like to say, I always like to start the podcast off with a new guest by asking, how would you describe yourself to some brand new people? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, do the introduction speech. Hi, I'm Daniel Clifton. I am the lamest guy you could possibly meet because I'm the nerdiest man in the world. <laughs> Yeah, that probably sums up pretty well, actually. Oh, I'm, Dan, I'm pretty man. nerdy, that's pretty so, lamey. That's so good, but <laughs> you know what? That would get so many... I, I think you'd immediately make people laugh, and therefore you've already got people on your side immediately, uh, straight off the bat, man. That's brilliant. Uh, it's it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> right above the webcam, I've got the D&D screen above. Oh, so. wow, really? Oh, man. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 
it's the one thing that I couldn't couldn't get into. I I think it was ruined for me by other people. Like D and D is definitely a like a player game where you you know it's only as good as the people you're with. Would you, am, am I right in saying that, or am I? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think the same with any kind of tabletop game. You you need to play with some good friends. I yes. think. Yeah. And, some, and do you have a good, good group of mates who, who play it with you? Yeah, I've got a couple of good friends who get involved. It's sometimes quite entertaining, pretty funny. Yeah. Sometimes I've, well, I think I've lost count on how many times I've face palmed, but uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> That's brilliant, man. I mean, you know, stuff like that, like you said, if you can get into fantasy, you can get into history. And I think we're yeah. diving in today into. A little bit of a, a niche area, but also something that thoroughly interests me. And I'm, I'm here to learn from you as much as I imagine we're going to learn together through some of these like pieces of information. Oh, I fully expect to learn something new today. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I love that attitude. Jumping in straight away. Um, we've talked about like you want it, you've your love for history. What mm. specifically in the beginnings of Rome, what comes to mind for you when you're thinking of the beginnings of Rome? I think thinking about Rome, the first thing I think anybody will go to is they think about the empire yeah. and they think about this huge uh, cultural identity that more or less conquered the entirety of the Mediterranean and as such existed and its legacy stands to this day. <clears throat> Things like, like you mentioned earlier on, we've got the roads that goes around. I think as well, talking about the, like you've got the military, like yes. Roman military, things of, that kind of ideals and the way it's structured has persisted into modern times as well. Even the way their camps were laid out, you can kind of see that in terms of American street design, how everything's all blocky because the Romans would have their camps very much in an orderly fashion. It's That's amazing. I never thought of it that way. That is, yeah, that's so true. You got... You got our wonderful capital city of London. That's that was basically made from Romans. <laughs> like to think, thirty minute train ride away, and I could be going back. I mean, two, years. two hours for me, but like, yeah. But that's yeah, very true. <laughs> so true, so true. The the arch it's sort of like the architecture that we see today is a reflection of the of the period, like the period of Rome. So the beginnings of Rome, even then, are reflected in today in today's society. Yeah. What do you think that if you could take a, a like one piece of sort of like Roman? architecture or anything is there any piece that you think of immediately and like that's that's it that's what i like that's that's exactly what i'd like to see i think man from being a child and going to places like rome and pompeii as a kid it's always going to be the Colosseum. that is the first thing you see and you go yeah that's rome yeah. or the ruins of the roman forums as well oh but, yeah man, have, totally you, have you been I have, yeah. Oh, it's it's awesome, isn't it? It's like it's going back in time. You feel like you're Indiana Jones. I'm gonna Jones. let you down a little bit, a little bit, because I didn't like the Colosseum. If no, I'm... no, yeah. I'm so sorry. It's, no, it's no, my... no, that's fine. But I have expressed this before to people, and it's only because I was expecting the Colosseum to have still the sand ground, like oh, the sand spot. Yeah, 
and when I got there and they had like the maze in the middle mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. I was like taken aback a bit. I was like expecting the. <laughs> I don't know. I'm it's just... a little bit of a letdown when you think how it used, well, might have used to look like before. Yes. Yeah, exactly. With, with the crowds roaring and. Yeah. But I totally agree with you on on the forum. Ah, it's just yeah. Man. Yeah. But when when did you visit? When when were you there? Jeez, oh, uh, God, I was young, probably. Oh, God, I must have been about 10, wow. 11. So 20, 20, I'm not 30 yet. Jeez, about 14 odd years ago, wow. maybe. So that had, a, that had quite an effect then, I imagine. Like... Yeah, Be, being there and going and see it, seeing it in person definitely leaves an effect. Because, you know, you hear the stories and it's only when you see it with your own eyes, you're like, oh, wow, that's actually real. Yeah. You hear about an amazing creature, you don't believe it exists until you see it. When you, until you go to a zoo and you're like, elephants are real? What? <laughs> like, oh, that's so, so cool to see it in person. And I would re- definitely recommend if you haven't, and any of your listeners as well, if you get the chance to go to Pompeii, Go check it out. Is it Pompeii is awesome. Yeah, it's it is just surreal. <laughs> does it? It does Pompeii? You know, I always think of the dust, the volcano, mm-hmm. the sort of environment of some volcanic ash. Is it uh, just a still place? I imagine it's quite a quiet place. What's it actually like? When when I went there, it was about autumn time, so out of out of the term time season. Um, so a lot of the kids were at school and I remember walking around there with my parents and it was pretty quiet on that day and you know a bit of pathetic fallacy it was cloudy pretty miserable looking kind of grim <laughs> and obviously not a lot has survived but you can see like the main cobblestone streets some of the buildings they've managed to unearth uh, a couple of the old mosaics but just being in that presence in a place that had suffered such a catastrophic event is, oh man, it almost sends a shiver down your spine. <laughs> your description make, makes me feel like I'm there. I'm feeling like we're already stepping through the streets together right now. That's, yeah, you're setting a scene, man. That's, that makes me want to go and experience it for myself. So that's, that's cool. Definitely, definitely worth a visit for a day trip. Yeah. And climb up Mount Vesuvius as well, because that's awesome. That's an, that's another thing ticked off the the life list. <laughs> that's a definite life list ticker right there. I'm definitely gonna have to have to chuck that on there. That's beautiful. So you've been inspired by, the, by these experiences. You've you've you're, you already have like a, a keen interest in history, fancy yeah. things. When when I sort of present you with the the ideas of Romulus and Ramus, what's the first like? bit that you're like oh that's that's the start that's the start of rome it's that that tale in itself again that's one of those fancy story moments because it's such a myth <laughs> come on you got two twin boys prophesized to take down a king so they get ordered to be killed and get thrown into a river but instead they are saved and suckled on the teat of a wolf and it absolute bollocks 
when you think about it, it's like, come on, that is absolute rubbish. But it's what they went with, and I think that's just amazing. But, Dude, yeah. you've got entire religions that are built off that. So, you know, oh, there is that. Exactly. But Rome, its founding is so... It's drowning in those myths. Yes. And it almost feels like it's, when you read up about it, that it has been constructed to give later Romans a reason as to why things came about beforehand. Mm. Let's see. Yeah. Romulus and Remus, the two of them, these twin brothers, quite capable, end up becoming, well, creating their own little city. Yes. After killing one of the others. But... Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> Romulus kills Remus, which is yeah. typical sort of, you know, it even goes into Christendom and the idea of like Cain and Abel. And yeah, know, yeah. You know, we kill Abel to be able to, you know, get everlasting life and you so on and so forth yeah. and you're sort of banished into life from there. Yeah, so even their mother, a woman called Ray Silvio, is a daughter of one of the old kings beforehand of like a local yes. tribe. Yeah. And that even that is reflected in Christianity because mm. you talk about Mary being the Vestal Virgin, Ray Silvio was the Vestal Virgin. Yeah. And the father of Romulus and Remus is meant to be Mars, the god of war. So. <laughs> I had no it's idea. It's interesting how these things relate. <laughs> no, no, I, th I think I'm, I'm kind of blown away a little bit because I didn't know it was Mars who was the the, the, the typical father, such a link between Christ himself and uh, and, and Ramus and Romulus, yeah. I should say. It's kind of crazy. Well, I think it, it all changes depending on which source you read because in some depictions it's Mars who's the father or in some cases it would be Hercules because in all honesty... Roman Greek are quite similar. Like yes. you, you've done your Greek mythology little talks beforehand, so you know you, the Roman gods are almost a spitting image of the Greek gods, they just with slightly indeed. different names. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think it's like I'm, I'm, I might be wrong in saying like Jupiter, it, the great strength, and you've got Zeus, this leader yeah. of the yeah. Greek gods, and you, you've yeah. got war, and you've got Mars reflecting Ares, and it's mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. this beautiful sort of such i would say it's a juxtaposition of like the two countries being so similar at the same time like they're so different yeah. but they're so similar and this links really well to what i was going to lead on to is the idea that romulus and ramus there is a source that says that they actually started from the trojan war yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you did you read about that at all? Did you see? Yeah, so that's I'm I'm assuming you're talking about Aeneas. Yes. And the I think who who wrote it? It was Livy or Virgil, the Aeneid. Yeah, the refugee Trojan prince. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's re it's Aeneas. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Pronunciation's always a fee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the um, our, that story is the fall of Troy. And the Trojan prince, who I believe is Aeneas, mm. and his followers end up sailing the Mediterranean for a while. They even go to Carthage, meet up with Queen Dido. Oh. And there's a little bit of discussion there where they fall in love, and then he abandons her on the call of duty from the gods, and she doesn't like it, so she curses him. And more or less, it's again, it's that fantasy story, this myth thing of that entire 
story is more or less an excuse and a reason to the later Punic Wars that occurred later on when the yes. Roman Republic became a thing. Yeah, that's so true as well. The link, the, the common story of the myth there, where the woman is spited by the male hit protagonist, and then there's like some sort of curse or repercussions because yeah. of it is so common i love it because it's so funny to be able to dive into that and be like whoever wrote this you're not being creative we've seen this before in many other stories <laughs> i know well for people in our age now we can look back on that and be like what a load of trash yes but when you went back then with those guys man like they were superstitious as hell oh, temples everywhere have to devote you know make sacrifices to their gods devote some money make sure the temples are maintained definite a whole different society i think i was gonna ask you about that was am i wrong in saying that they had like different temples for um the different gods and based off the god that you were sacrificing was like a different animal or something along those lines i can't remember off the top of my head but it was like mars had a temple and then they'd uh, they'd um, sort of sacrifice a defeated warrior at the head of uh, the, the the sort of like temple area i don't mean <laughs> no 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 yeah so temples each got to have their own temple although i believe some would share as you got like the pantheon mm, um, yes uh, I think that still exists, actually. That was one of the places I did not get to visit when I was in I, I, Yeah, no, I've, I've seen the Pantheon. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. beautiful structure. I've got to go check it out. Yeah, I dude, do. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> gonna, do this podcast and you're just going to be wanting to go back to Rome. Ironically, uh, the reason I went to Rome in the first place was, you know, I think we've we've tied this in. There's a little bit of nerdiness to this, but I was playing Assassin's Creed for a lot at that period of time. Oh, uh, yes. Ah. <laughs> uh. Brilliant series. <laughs> so you Assassin's can understand Creed 2 the, and Brotherhood, the 18 year old right? me wanting to go. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, dear. Oh, and to see it afterwards and be so, oh, yeah, total disappointment. <laughs> oh, don't, mate, don't. It's, it's terrible because you think of uh, all of the... I, I, at the same time, I wasn't disappointed because the sort of landscape portrayed in video games is actually so realistic nowadays. Mm. When I did go to Rome, I was like, this is crazy accurate. Yeah. Some of the places, you're like, wow. Yeah, completely scary. <laughs> but yeah, going back to the gods, yeah, mm. sacrifices were a common thing for sure. Mm. I think in some of the tales, they sacrifice goats and sheep and other sorts of cattle. Mm. Uh, I... <laughs> I wouldn't put them past them to, uh, you know, sacrifice losers in warfare as well. Rome is just so gritty. Yes. Yeah. From its very inception, so grim, dark, gritty society of people. Well, you have the starts of Rome being created by one brother sliding another one down yeah, saying, yeah. I'm the leader. <laughs> There's another event that happened in that past in Roman history so when they were finding the settlement mm. uh, and they had their own little followers they kind of made a name for themselves got a little bit of a cult following if you will mm. but they needed to attract people to their settlement if they're going to stay there yes because it was and, a small uh, village uh, yeah it was like a little small tribe tribal gathering mm. and the people who ended up going there were less than reputable people like 
thieves, people who were runaway slaves, or those with stupid amounts of debt, and they're looking for a fresh start. Yeah. So they all go over there, and just so happens the majority of them are male. So you kind of need, if you if your settlement's going to flourish, you need to have children. Yes. So one of the really gritty things that happened during Romulus's reign, and one of the tales is what's referred to as the rape of the Sabine women, in which they held a festival, and all the local tribes around the neighborhood came along, and they stole all their women. No, I had yeah. no idea. That's crazy. And yeah. <laughs> this was, how did they get away with it? That's my first question. That's crazy. Oh, it's, it's madness. There was all a massive war about it, and that kicked off. So there's a couple of art pieces, actually, which kind of depict the scene. Oh, wow. But apparently the the women who were kidnapped intervened in some of the conflict and was like, no, we're your daughters and your husbands and we have your sons and grandsons. If you can't get along, can we please just get along? <laughs> crazy. It's yes. Madness. It's so, uh, very gritty. Oh, my good. Yeah. Uh, no wonder. So when you were saying that, these dark beginnings, yeah. I had no idea that that was so true. I knew that the the murder was there. I knew that the sort of village was small, and they were they were sort of acclimatizing to the area by bringing more people to it. But I had no idea that you know that the large group were male, and therefore they brought in slaves, basically, you know, from another tribe. Yeah, it's scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine nowadays our generation trying to fight off another oh, another tribe? Geez. Yeah, the chaos, absolute <laughs> chaos. So is this Palantine Hill? I'm right in saying that. Is this mm -hmm. is this the area where um sort of like Romulus sets up camp and and goes from there? Yeah, more or less. There was there was two hills and talking before the conflict with Romulus and Remus mm. uh, it's in in the legend Romulus is on the Palantine and Remus is on the Aventine which is just across the way and they're both we want to build our settlements here and there's a bit of discourse between who's going to be the leader of the settlement Ooh. so they go to these hills and they start with each other and then there's again there's different accounts because it's all based on myth really <laughs> There's one of them which talks about six vultures landing at the feet of Remus. And then when his followers go over and proclaim that to Romulus's followers, 12 vultures arrive at his feet. So one is like, they came to me first. And he was like, but I've got the better number. And so the conflict kicked off that way. That's but, so yeah. funny. That's like the biggest dick measuring contest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but with birds. <laughs> but with birds. My God. Oh, dear. So, obviously, this we're playing myth mythology right now. So, I'm not mm -hmm. going to try and like pin down the facts too much. But, like, what, where, why do you think like birds came into like this matter? Why eagles? Or, like, isn't the eagle like the representation of like the Roman legions? That's point? like the old, um, the banners. Yeah. yeah. The old SPQR banners. It would always be the legion, the symbol of the Imperium. But I think back in those days, because at that point, it would be known as the Roman kingdom as opposed to the Roman Republic or the Roman Empire. It's, things just change over time, really. It's still early days in that period. And it's just a myth, an excuse to kind of give an origin story for the Romans, if you will. Mm. 
At least that's my interpretation of it. Yeah, it's a fantastic interpretation. It's the right way of thinking about it. Is like you're thinking it as if it's myth mythology, but like little sort of droplets of truth being spread around every now and then. And yeah, like, like yeah. sort of like how the because because we know for a fact that how Rome began was in sort of republic style. There was democratic. Mm-hmm. sort of voting being done to the local councillors or whatever you want to call them the the sort of like figureheads of rome after yeah. romulus sort of like died there was yeah. that beginning to to vote people in you know this is a period of time after the battle so we've got quite a lot of gray area here the what we'd you'd call the nitty-gritty or the dark ages of rome is Mm. there anything that we're missing i'm missing here is anything that you think stands out in your mind like this is a really key event before the sort of kings and the elected period of of the roman history well with romulus he was essentially the first king of rome Mm. And the tale goes that there's seven kings of Rome. Was there actually seven kings of Rome? Probably not, because each of them has reigned for about 35 years, which, you know, kings don't normally reign that long. Yeah. Unless they all start from a relatively younger age. And some of their, some of the details about their stories, some of the tales that come involved with that are, again, that kind of nitty gritties, almost stereotypical type stories. One of them, I I forget his name, but it's like the sixth king of Rome. He wasn't really into it that much. He wasn't interested in being a king, whereas his wife really was. And she was like, you better, Lord, like, authorize your power and, you know, be a good king. And he's like, so what? I don't really care. But his brother really wanted to be king. And his brother's wife didn't really give a crap, sort of two of them the ambitious ones killed their partners and hooked up and that was the seventh king it's so many little gritty stories like that yeah and in this case this is the usurper because he's known as the usurper isn't he the seventh king yeah the lucius tarquinius superbus not superbus that's a mouthful as a, as a name. They yeah. they go with their seriously manly, you know, I am the king of the naming conventions, basically, here. Oh, like, yeah. Scipio Africanus. Oh, so, so many of them. There's so many names. <laughs> I love it. So good, man. So, you know, these seven kings, and again, we're, we're, we're diving into the sort of like age but romulus reigned from 1753 to around 1715 bc that's quite a long time and as you said the next kings sort of like reigned for 35 years am i wrong in saying that most kings like they murdered each other up to this point and in this period of history so it's it's kind of intriguing to see definitely for sure i mean talking about the the origin story Mm. romulus and remus's grandfathers are gentleman called Numitor, who was exiled from his old people, which is another local tribe in the region, descendants of Aeneas. It, like, that whole period in time is just conflict, conflict, conflict. And Rome is, as a society, built by the military powers. It's might is not right, but for Rome, they were successful and they survived for so long because they were good in the fight. 
So there was a hell of a lot of fighting. A hundred percent. So if that's the case, why do you think they want their history to be reflected in these seven kings that have these like quite long reigns individually? It's, I think it's just that going back to just giving it an excuse yeah. to kind of build a foundation as to why that society is the way it is. Like Romulus, who founded the city of Rome? Romulus, who organized the legions? Well, Romulus. You know, Rom- Romulus is the answer to all those reg- all those questions. Yes. And then some of the later kings will be the answers to so many other questions. Like the second one is uh, the second king's uh, uh, slightly struggling the same. I think it's Numa, just Numa, mm. who was more of a, a theological individual, really into his religion. So he was the one who organized titles like the Pontifex Maximus, which, fun fact, exists still today. It's owned by the Pope. No way. So, so hang on, he can sort of go, go ahead and name people with this title? Pontifex Maximus is the name, a title given to like the senior religious figure in Roman culture. Wow. And that has managed to survive right the way through to modern days. In fact, that, I, I found this out earlier as well. a sick title. If you ever want to like, go anywhere in the world and get, like, you know, screw a knighthood. I want to be known as Pontius Maximus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing title. And I only found this out earlier on. But if you actually checked out the Pope on Twitter, his Twitter tag is Pontifex. Wow. I, I don't have Twitter, so I didn't know this. This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. He is, that's a level of ego that he's like, you know what? I'm ready to be known as Pontus for the. That's brilliant. Oh it's, it just ex- carries on so many legacies from that period. Like the third king, any questions about Rome's origins? Well, he would probably be the reason as to why that's the case as well. It's just a convenient answer, really. Yeah, well, weren't those four kings, the first four kings elected? So technically speaking, the, the people put forward these, yeah. these stories, these, these yeah. ideas as foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Abs- fascinating idea, because mm. it's almost like, you know, when you think of Rome, I always think of an empire that is sort of determined by like the leader that the, you know i always think of like marcus aurelius and caesar and like all yeah. of these big characters that represent rome and they determine the history but there is little bits and pieces where you're thinking actually it was you know it was a people's republic in, in yeah. the majority of the time do you think that that you know the people you know even in this period of time of history the roman people were quite lucky in the sense that they had this ability um you know even if there was savagery around it it's really weird because I'm I'm not massively political. I I keep up to date with it, but I'm not yeah. super involved because normally that stuff tends to lead to arguments. <laughs> but to think that Rome was one of the what the Roman Republic, shall I say, was one of the earliest dem- democracies in yes. the world and democracy in the sense that people voted for a leader and that leader would nine out of ten times do the job they intended to do and they did a pretty good job of it only at later points where you get to the likes of julius caesar did it ended up becoming more of a imperium more of that slightly dictatorship 
And I think being able to look back and compare now, like hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yes. But just seeing it and seeing a resemblance between back then and today's societies. Like American Congress, somewhat similar to the Senate. Yes. Yeah. And and we saw the, the, the capital get rioted. We if we go straight back to Rome, this was a common thing. It happened like three times. The Gauls came all the way from Germany to, to Rome and yeah. sacked it within a day. So I think know, Rome yeah, I think you're right. I think Rome was sacked three times. Yeah. So so you think about that, like Rome as an empire just as big as America. We link we take that link. It it should remind us as a part of history that the americans you know don't don't be too worried about other nations be worried about the people living in your country and yeah. elsewhere they have the power to, to come forth yeah. so I, I always love that that idea that you you've put forward there but even the fall of the roman empire like yeah. basically the entire empire split into two west and east and the west crumbled away but the east survived and became the byzantine empire yes. and they ended up surviving until like the 1500s until they were they fell away. It was, uh, Caesar Augustus, wasn't it? Who was uh, in constant? Who became constant? Like he, he was uh, constant yeah. after that, or something along those lines. Yeah. Right. Augustus the Great, I believe, and Constantine. No, Constantine the Great and Caesar Augustus. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's been a while. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, dude. Yeah, hundred percent. And that that's that's really taken me back because. I know we're skipping all over the place with history, but it's a really important point you've made is that that ending of the empire, like you said, it, it lasted all the way up till, and I'm pretty sure the Byzantine empire became the Ottoman empire. Yeah. Yeah. And so that lasted all the way up until the first world war in 1914. Yeah. In a sense. I mean, yeah, you're spot on. <laughs> Rome, Rome exists today, but legacy is everywhere. Legacies everywhere. We, we, we were talking about this before the podcast started, guys. The the ideas of legacy, we're going to talk about later, but it is fascinating that Dan's made this point that we see today these sort of like little influences all over just from the beginning tales of Rome, just by starting where we have and start and, and slowly trailing to this point. Absolutely fascinating. So we've talked a little bit about sort of the mythology and we've talked about the beginning bit where, where we physically get actual history <laughs> where mm. we're, we're going to get some actual history now so i'm pretty sure after the the seven kings we mm. have the, the actual monarchy am i right in saying that do we do we have like monarchy afterwards or did be, did it become a republic after that? i think after that point it became the republic after the seven kings mm. they basically outed out superbus Superbus or Superbus, however Ooh, you want yes. to pronounce his name, yeah. and then the Senate and everybody else, the populace, were like, "Nope, we're not having any more kings," and that would end up staying for the entirety of Rome moving forward. Later on in the history, I think there was an attempt by the exiled king to come back, but they were like, "Nope," oh, really? and they nip that in the butt. <laughs> yes well the, the it became a prized possession for the country it was like you know if you had democracy in your nation it yeah. was that same idea 
of um, in Greece where democracy was then fought against with, I mean, we all know the story of 300 in the idea of fighting mm. against the, this huge empire from the East oh, to, yeah. to defend the very democracy that they have. Um, it's just, yeah, fascinating. Is there anything from, from the, the beginning of the Republic that, you know, what, what made it so strong at the beginning? And do you, do you know why it lasted for so long? I think again, with this is kind of speculative back mm. in that era of time because, like we mentioned earlier on, Rome has been sacked numerous times. Yes. And I think the first time it was sacked is roughly about 300 BC, mm. which is mid Republic. Mm. And at that point, a lot of information is lost. So that's probably why some of the origin stories for Rome are as. You know, sparkly. Let's call it thank sparkly. You. Thank you. That's the word. <laughs> All dressed up. Yeah. All dressed up and ready to go on a night out. I love it. Yeah. And past that point, it starts to become more accountable, more reputable sources of knowledge. Yeah. But those early days of the Republic, again, that almost falls into that somewhat fictional category. And when you look into that, the way it was designed and run, so you, had, you have your Senate, you have your 100, 200, 300, however many people it was in the end, depending on whoever's running. They would be your advisors and they would be like the voice of the people. Or, um, they would have the ultimate power. They would select for new leaders of the country. And those leaders would be known as the consuls. And typically there would be two of them. And during that earlier point as well, those people elected into those positions were really good leaders. And they took upon themselves that role of being a leader of a republic. And when it was their time to stand down, they stood down. Right. There's also, they, um, they made a law about dictatorships. They were one of the first people to institute dictatorships. However, their dictatorships weren't like the dictatorships today, where they were elected and there was a single person who had total authority over everything the country did yes. or the, the republic did. However, their term was only six months. And after six months, they had to stand down. And the people who ended up taking up that role, the early ones anyway, did indeed step down. And it's ridiculous to think about that. You get, you're a man who gets given ultimate power. Yes. And you give it back? <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say, they say that, you know, the most common saying you hear when it comes to power is power corrupts absolutely. So, yeah. You're saying after six months of getting a nice taster of the sweetest food you've ever had in your life and you get told, give it back now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Wow. Admittedly, that, that position was only given during great moments of crisis, like oh. civil wars or external threats. There's a tale about a, uh, a consul, a dictator called Cincinnatus. Oh, who was elected a couple of times, who was involved in these things. He came to quell a rebellion and quell an invasion. And after both times, he ended up going back to his farm and working his plow. Of course, that's all bullshit because that's just <laughs> fictional as hell. He's, so it's brilliant. He's the ideal image of a Republican citizen. Right. That makes so much sense. It's like the idea of the communist, the the the, the workhorse, the the idea of uh, what's actually real and what's not. Yeah, it's fa fascinating. So cool. And Obviously, so every story has a hint of truth in it. 
yeah, well, if, if, if this isn't real, what is the reality then? What was the reality of this? Exactly. Unfortunately, I don't think anybody's ever going to know. <laughs> oh, that's so good, though. I love it. I love that because we can dive in and basically we could we could make up as many tales. You know, you could have like as many dictators or as many sort of like peaceful Republicans as you wanted. Yeah, there's there's only one that ever comes to mind when it comes down to, you know, the one that everyone knows, and that's Caesar. And obviously, after after Caesar, it was the biggest dictatorship of all time you know yeah. after this even if it is a tale that is laced in mythology because it like you say a lot of this history is like you know you've got elements of truth and mm-hmm. elements that are a little bit like hang on a minute that doesn't make sense but i can tell you i remember one of the key parts of caesar rising to power was again military prowess and so oh. I was going to ask about about this with you. What made these sort of like dictators level like Caesar to that power? And, and what sort of influence did that military prowess have from the Roman Empire? Well, do you have any favorite moments? I think uh, Caesar is a good example because there's some brilliant battles that he took part in. Yes. There's one where he basically trapped a bunch of ghouls inside their fort and built a fort around them to hold off reinforcements a totally ridiculous idea that yeah. actually worked <laughs> and that is one of his most well-known endeavors and what a fantastic legacy to have on your portfolio there yeah. brilliant but yeah some of these old dictators and some of the old consuls during the early republic uh, i'm gonna be jumping ahead a little bit Mm. But uh, during the Punic Wars, particularly the second one, mm. Hannibal of Carthage. Yes, Hannibal. Yes, famous. This is one of my favourite stories. It's not, well, it's not a story because it, this is this is history. At the end of the day, at this point in time, it's definitely more history as opposed to fable. Yeah. But Hannibal takes a bunch of his guys across the Alps with elephants. They walk from Spain to Italy, and the Romans weren't expecting it, and he wrecked absolute havoc. And you got a man who was elected to deal with this threat from the west, but the north. And instead, he kind of played it on the back foot. And instead of actually engaging in combat, as opposed to what Romans always wanted to do, which is just get straight stuck in, beat the crap out of each other, slug it out, and the last one standing wins. This guy, a guy called Fabius, decided to play a war of attrition against Hannibal. And it was relatively successful. He was really disliked for it. But if you're familiar with military tactics, you would recognize that Fabius is somewhat similar to Fabian. And Fabian tactics is something that is quite well known today as well. Yeah, I mean, how would hang on i'm trying to think of this you said elephants i'm sorry i've I've latched onto that (laughs) i'm kind of taken aback you're you're talking about mountains and a a, a terrain that is known today that is just a slightly impossible story in somewhere or another to have that which is why it's so good (laughs) yes so true so how 
I'm not gonna actually no, I'm not gonna ask the how because it to, to me there's no way you could come up with an answer that's gonna convince me that elephants were put over <laughs> the mountainous areas of Spain and Italy. But I can believe in a force strong enough to be able mm. to, as you said, fight against the Romans and surprise them. Because the Romans they had at, at that point in their empire, there was a level of arrogance. Oh yeah, absolutely. There was, yeah. There was a level of yeah. Every other country was Rome's to conquer, mm-hmm. and the civilizations within them were lesser than Rome. And therefore, you had this level of, like, we have the best battle practice. Yeah, Rome has always taken pride on their fighting capability. Yeah. It's, that's engraved from them from birth. Romulus, in his time of being the king, there was the fights that he had with the Etruscans in the north and all these other tribes in the Italian peninsula fighting is what romans do and it's what they do best yes and we we've talked about legacy before the Etruscans still have their sort of grip within roman lifestyle and roman sort of history till this day um, as well as as we've obviously established romulus himself do you think what is something apart from talking about fabian is there a part of the battles that you've read about or anything that that comes to mind where you're like that you know, that use of battle strategy or like sort of like fighting style is why the Romans were so powerful. I think at that particular point in time, Rome was on the back end because Hannibal, Hannibal was a brilliant commander and he played it to a T. He, he ended up luring the Romans into a trap because Romans, Romans? Romans were quite bloodthirsty for him to try and take him out. So every time Hannibal baited the Romans bit and they got closer and I think three or four or five battles, they got absolutely annihilated. But in so many other conflicts, Hannibal was on the Italian peninsula. Yeah, he was kicking ass, started to dwindle towards the end of his campaign. But elsewhere in in the world, Rome was kicking butt. In Carthage proper, which modern day Tunisia, yeah, they were doing a number on Carthage. I think Rome's military, compared to others, was a lot more, lot more professional. Yeah. During the early days in the Republic, people would, well, the main soldiers in those armies would do it out of their own pocket. They would buy their own equipment and they would join up and depend on how much money they have would depend on what type of rank they got. So obviously the richer people could afford the horses. So they're going to be the guys in the cavalry units and be the commanders. Whereas the younger, more ambitious men that have slightly less money could probably only afford a sword and a breastplate and nothing much else. And they would be quote unquote cannon fodder for the fights. Yeah, Yeah, But I'm sure you know, Roman military structures had changed a few times so during its very first institution it was based on the phalanx yes the phalanx based on alexander the great's long hoplites and spears and then it changed to the more uh, what's referred to as the maniple system Mm. which is a lot more maneuverable in the hilly regions of italy's peninsula yeah and then along came the cohorts these professional government-funded armies that just kicked absolute butt. 
and they they had these well what we know today as centurions mm-hmm. and, and they had the whole huge shields were organization of a combination of the phalanx still because they would use the spears and the swords as um sort of like short swords for close quarter combat and then the long spears and yeah. arrows with a combination of shield walls as a way to to combat barbarians coming at them from yeah they had um one of they used to use javelins which i believe they called the pelum and it's long i don't know why i'm going to try and fit this in on the uh the camera because it probably doesn't help but uh we'll say yeah that's the whole thing Okay. And half of it was a wooden shaft, and the other half of it was the metal spike. So they would launch this javelin towards the enemies, and upon the impact, it would bend. So where that joint is between the metal and the wood, it would bend. So the enemies, instead of being able to pick up the javelin and throw it back, they couldn't do that. Oh, so it was a one-time fantastic. weapon. Wow. If, if it punctured into one of their shields, they wouldn't be able to remove it because it was just too awkward. It was too long. Like, and and by the time that you you know you're even in the the heat of battle, that sort of yeah. thought process isn't yeah. even gonna you know comprehend at that period yeah. of time. You have a legionnaire breathing down your throat with a gladius against your neck. You're yeah, it's gonna <laughs> be a bad time in the middle of a battle. And we're talking about all sorts of landscapes as well. So with, with like javelins being thrown, you know, you've got horses, you've got all of these sorts of attack procedures. Barbarians didn't really have much of a, a chance. And, and, you know, even when the Rome, Romans came to the United Kingdom, there's, you know, an, a lack of organization. And I think that's the main thing the Romans had was their ability to organize and, you know, fight united in yeah. comparison to, to them. Yeah, that's, that's spot on because Rome is very... Uh, there's a lot of formation, a lot of organisation, whereas you're saying, yeah, barbarians, they put on some war paint, they shout really loud and frighten the crap out of everybody else, but they don't fight in unison. And that's what the Roman cohorts and legions and the maniples, anybody who served in that army was, because they were one cohesive unit and they would all travel together. They would cook food together. They would dig trenches together. They would be a mobile workforce. They would go around with shovels and on their backs and hunting gear. It was really functional. <laughs> yeah, and I, and no one had come up. You know, Alexander the Great did come up with a system. I mean, you could even say that his father came up with that system rather than him. But we're not getting to that. Um, Oops, yeah. <laughs> but the, the idea of fighting together, living together, it provided that camaraderie. And it was very much so that we always think of Rome as a united front. But from what I'm aware, Rome actually picked at the best parts of other empires. And so when they went to conquer, they would say, these are the best cavalry. We'll have these guys. Let's put them into our cavalry. And, and they would absorb into yeah. different sort of tribes. Do, do you remember, I think it was like, um, there was a, a movie called King Arthur or something along those lines. And <laughs> yes, and it, with a Clive Owen in it. Movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that one because guilty pleasure. I actually like that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You know, uh, original 2003 or something crazy like that. You know, <laughs> but um, they, the, the main characters were horsemen from the east of Europe. 
Yeah. And, and they'd been in, absorbed into the Roman Empire and their loyalty was purely based off like, we'll kill your entire tribe if you don't fight for our empire. Yeah. Do you, do you think of any other like parts of the, you know, the Roman, how it continued to function with stuff like that happening? I think I think that might have been one. I speculate that's probably one of the downfalls of the empire at the end of it, because in the early days, it was the people who would fight for their land. Mm. It was the soldiers who were fighting to protect their mothers and daughters and fathers and brothers and sisters and their family and their friends. Whereas in the later years, because you're putting all these other uh, auxiliary forces, like Gaulic spears and uh, Scythian cavalry archers, dragging all these other forces to make your professional army, they're not that invest in it, invested in defending the heart of Rome anymore. And when you think of um, one of the great one of the great defeats of Rome, uh, the Battle of Teutoburg Forest. Because that's that goes down in history as being an absolute disgrace for Rome. Because mm. one of the uh, one of their commanders was an adopted German prince, essentially, who snuck off during a campaigning season, met up yeah. with all of his old German tribes and organized essentially a slaughter of the Roman legions, baited them into a trap and absolute disaster. And and from there, what what do you know what year that was at all? No, but I can find out. No, I mean, chuck it in there, man. I mean, from what I'm aware, it was the Germans who led to the demise of Rome through the, the invasion of, uh, of Rome after that. Is, is this... The sort of like beginning of that i think okay so the battle took place in the ninth century so yeah, early on during the early days of the empire i believe or republic, or republic. it's one of the two <laughs> either way it's a win-win. <laughs> this is the beginnings of Rome podcast. We don't have to clarify anything to you guys. That's certainly not. <laughs> nah, but, that's yeah. It was it was an absolute disaster. I think. Do you think really the, the, the Romans learned from these sort of things, or do you think it was just that arrogance that did leave lead to the downfall? I think earlier on, when the nation was small. It, everything's a lot more immediate and they are more invested in the immediate surroundings like, they're more willing to put up a good fight yeah. for the place down the street whereas people when you think about it in the sense of the Britain conquest yeah. they're not going to be that interesting going all the way up to Scotland yeah. and the people in Rome don't give a crap they're too busy enjoying their grapes and wine and gladiator, gladiator fights like yes, they get called oh we need to send more troops up there no they're fine it's exactly that bud it was this laziness almost that seems to have caused that sort of lack of clarity yeah. in the realities of Europe and, and the surrounding areas of Rome and yeah. uh, the lack of control throughout the empire it's also and, why I think a lot of the later uh generals of these armies their troops would end up backing them because they wouldn't hear much from back home and the soldiers be like black guy doesn't give a crap about us but our general does so i'm going to support our general 
our general should be Caesar. Our general should lead our nation. Yes. And the amount of civil wars that kicked off is phenomenal. <laughs> All for this basis, it ended up being a case of the army would back the general. And the general would, nine out of ten times, want to do that himself. But sometimes he'll be like more, he'll be forced into it by his army in order to pay for their wages or pay for their food. Yes. And at the end of the day, food and, and, and beer and wine were more important than some of the politics that was thrown from the, the Senate, basically. Or yes. The, the yeah. I love that. That's so interesting. What more so, could you possibly want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're in the, the, the grittiness of, you know, some dark, ghoul-infested area in Europe and you're being told to fight for the, the good of the empire, you know, we've gone from where, the beginning where we're fighting for a small village. You know, Rome went from a, yeah. a small village for fighting for, for guys who were like refugees and found a home to fighting for this sort of euphoric place that represents everything good in the world. Yeah. And you don't know it. You've never been yeah. there. So do you think that the generals were a reality check, basically? They were they were the like, we want to actually, you know, have some, you know, a piece of this Rome. And the best way we know how to do it is basically by talking to to someone who actually knows us. I think that might have been the case. Yeah. <laughs> I think at the end of the day. The soldier's wage isn't that great back then. So they want to do what's best for themselves and make sure that their lives are going to be comfortable. One of the big appeals of joining the military in that cohort uh, after the Marian reforms is when you retire, you get your own little bit of farmland. Yes. And that was like, that goes back to the tale of Cincinnatus of the ideal Republican citizen who would go and do his duty for Republic and then return to their farmland it's it's ideal it's what everybody would have wanted and i think even today everybody would appreciate having a bit of land of their own yes if there was but enough when, if there was enough <laughs> but when these promises aren't fulfilled and cuts are being made it's gonna piss off quite a few people yes and when yeah. the general says no we're gonna do this and i'm gonna make sure but after we succeed in doing this, we're going to return to Rome as heroes. We're going to have a triumph, a big celebration. There's going to be feasting. And we're all going to get what is rightfully ours. It's fascinating to know that you can simply put it down to that. Like, it can just be that consequence of just, like, you're going to have a full belly and a mug of mead and we're not going to have to think about going to the United Kingdom anytime soon, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basic human rights. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe no, not the it, mead. It's a beautiful dream. It's a beautiful dream, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. 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 But, Being able to have a shelter and some food and some water. Yeah. Like three basic things and most of the time, legions wouldn't necessarily get all of that. It's true. It, this is old times. Rome's brilliant. They had their own central heat and everything. But for the legionnaires at the front lines, they have to pitch their tents. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to ask you, is there a piece of technology you can think of that the, the Romans had that you know would, would help this? How did they deal with water, for instance? We know in Rome they had the huge 
sort of like um oh, i forgot the aqueducts aqueducts what, and reservoirs, so is, is yeah. there anything that comes to mind that you're like oh that that's here today and i love that seeing that in those days central heating as a concept is fantastic yes. <laughs> but even the uh, brick and mortar mm. i i think i might be correct in saying this if not we can always ask our good friend mr edwards the architectural <laughs> student but roman mortar was pretty good and yeah. i don't think they can replicate it to this day well they they had um the well in london and in 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 england they had these architectural structures that were there hundreds of years later and they couldn't reproduce the structure of the roman sort of like buildings yeah. that they'd created yeah. to this point um and it was architecturally i think at the time they were just dumbfounded why why are we not using mud bricks and straw and yeah, you know yeah. stuff like that it's <laughs> like crazy to to look at some pale white sort of marble from time to time which is what the romans were you know, famous for some of the other things they they brought about like the Rome, roads sorry mm, mm. like all roads lead to rome and the world is covered in them now yeah yeah like, uh, it's funny isn't it we think about like roundabouts being a thing like that we created in the united kingdom and the, the, it's not at all it's the romans came up with that for carts basically and, like the exits <laughs> were, were, were there for for like the idea of horse and carts going around uh, a marketplace basically mm. Mm. So it's just fascinating to, to think about those sort of things. Um, Dan, I don't know where, you know, to, to a better way to end this apart from asking this this final question ba based off Rome. Yeah, go for it. What would be your favourite part of the beginnings of Rome? What's what's the like thing that comes up? Technology, anything that you're thinking of, like Republic, person? I mean, they're all such good characters. Ah, <laughs> oh, I early days during the Republic. It's got to be the Second Punic War. Hearing about Hannibal and his vendetta, his blood feud with Rome—amazing stuff. Old Roman Kingdom, Romulus and Remus, their origin stories. Romulus's magical disappearance on top of the hill <laughs> one day, his declaration of "I've got no more vultures, I'm the king." It's, I think it's just brilliant. It's as close to a real life fantasy story as I can get to. Oh, beautiful song and dance right there, but of the uh, the ideas of uh, eagles and and birds and Romulus and like Remus. It's a brilliant way to summarise it. It really is, bud. And to me, I totally agree in the ideas that. It's a lovely story being built to, to build this foundation and to justify the dominance of Rome later on in life and, and how yeah. it began. So absolutely beautiful. Dan, we've got to do this again. We've got to do a part two at least at some point in, in time. I really absolutely. Hope... <laughs> I could talk about that subject for days. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Oh, well, we'll have you back on at some point. And uh, once again, thank you, Dan Clifton. For, for being here with me today thank you for having me <laughs> brilliant guys you know what this is this has been the taylor's tales podcast this has been chris's corner i'm your host chris taylor once again thanks dan clifton see you guys next week take care guys